Welcome to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. With over 150 years of experience and deep industry knowledge, Weber Wenzel is the leading full-service law firm on the African continent. Good day and welcome to our listeners. My name is Daryl Dingley and I am the head of uh, the competition law team at Weber Wenzel. And I'm pleased to say that I will be hosting the first of a two-part discussion session on recent important developments relating to the Kamisa Competition Commission and the effect that these developments you know, have on firms doing business in Africa. The session will, will focus on the Kamisa Commission's priority enforcement objectives as well as merger control. And to help uh, refine and focus our discussion, I'm also very honored to be joined by Dr. Willard Mwemba. Dr. Mwemba is the Acting Director and Chief Executive Officer of the Kamisa uh, Competition Commission. A very w- warm welcome to you, Willard. And, and I'm, you know, thank you very much for making time to, to join us uh, today. And also, I just want to say congratulations on your new role, and we wish you all the best um, going forward. And once again, thank you very much for taking the time to, um, to speak to us. And for, for our listeners, the, the Kamisa Competition Commission has now been active for about 10 years and has really, in, in our view, pioneered the development of competition law in, in Africa. And it's a very, very successful regional uh, regulator. And um, for purposes of this podcast, we really want to try and get a sense of where the the Kamisa Competition Commission's focus areas are for 2021 uh, and to discuss the recent practice note issued by the Kamisa Competition Commission that's clarified um, its merger thresholds. Turning to the first question that we have for Lard this morning is, what are the Kamisa Competition's priority enforcement goals for 2021 in relation to mergers specifically? Maybe you can touch on things like, you know, service levels and changes in that regard. And what has the, also what has the effect of COVID-19 had on the Kamisa Competition's Commission's operations? So thank you, Daryl, for, for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you, colleagues, uh, uh, talking to the business community, talking to the legal community, uh, because I believe together with these interactions, we improve and, uh, and sharpen and develop competition law enforcement, uh, not just in the commercial region, uh, uh, but beyond. So I'm so glad to be having this discussion with you. Uh, what are the C's priority enforcement goals for 2021 in relation to, to majors? We would want to be a bit more strict and probably uh, I'm not scaring people by starting with a chilling, uh, chilling warning and chilling mes- message, but we want to be a bit more strict uh, on the supply of incomplete information, especially where it is clear that uh, it is clear to the C that the incompleteness uh, is occasioned clearly uh, by by, by negligence. Uh, So we want to be very, very strict on that. We've observed over the years that uh, uh, we have in many, many instances uh, where merging parties submit very incomplete information and we always have to follow up with that information, even where the Form 12 is very clear as to what information, especially some critical 
uh, indispensable information to finalizing the procedures uh, of major notification and also to aid in the substantive assessment of the of the transaction. We have also seen a few instances of uh, uh, materially incorrect information, which because of our alertness and, 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 and uh, probably some research in the market, we are able to verify that the, the information is, is incorrect. So we are thinking uh, we will be a bit more strict on that. And uh, it may not be strange that we may end up finding one of the uh, undertakings for such uh, material uh, negligence. Uh, the next enforcement goal uh, for 2021, uh, uh, Daryl, is we want to scrutinize more measures involving private equity funds. We've observed over time that uh, most of the transactions that we've uh, reviewed involving private equity funds, we've uh, been arriving at conclusions that they do not raise significant competition concerns. In fact, they are good for the market. They are bringing investments. And that is good. So we're not trying to be biased. That is very good. If there are no issues, there are no issues. But what we have also observed is that uh, we've had very same private equity funds having investments in so many, many companies. And uh, the conclusion is they are in different markets. Uh, the other one is a fund. It's not engaged specifically in the uh, actual production or delivery of services uh, that the target firm uh, is engaged in. But at the end of the day, if you put everything on the table and see the number of companies in which the same private equity fund has a stake, probably begins to give some worrying pictures to maybe we may be missing uh, uh, something. So in as much as before, we would treat uh, loosely, I would say, we would treat such transactions uh, with less scrutiny, some kind of um, a phase one kind of, uh, of, of treatment. We may be a little bit more uh, uh, strict and scrutinize more uh, these private equity funds and uh, look at some of the transactions they've been involved in in the common market in the recent past. You talked about issues of uh, uh, our clients. So it's not only us being strict on what we expect from our clients, but we are also mindful that our clients expect good work from us. They expect good assessments. They expect good work uh, to be done so that the decisions that we make are credible decisions that can be trusted and, and our clients would have confidence in them. So we are undertaking this year to improve in the quality of our products to, to our clients you, you very soon you realize if you saw our website on the decisions we, we were issuing in the past we would issue probably one or maximum two page decision so now we are realizing that um, of course internally we would have a detailed uh, decision but we, ne we are never putting that on the website we would put a very summarized version of that decision we will now uh, try to make it a little bit more comprehensive so that it will guide our clients in understanding exactly the reasoning behind uh, our decisions. Uh, and then they can also uh, have an understanding of our mindset and what is what it is that we look at when we are reviewing majors so that it helps them also to shape their transactions. And uh, in that regard, also, we are increasing our staffing levels in the majors and acquisitions division. Daryl, we've had several interactions uh, with you before this. Uh, you will recall that when the commission uh, commenced its operations, there was only one officer in the majors division, uh, uh, and that was myself. 
we have uh, improved over time and um, I'm, I'm glad to to state that now uh, we have uh, five officers in the majors and acquisitions uh, division just to ensure that the service delivery and the quality of our our, our work is enhanced and then uh, we are also in, uh, planning of introducing a separate research division that will work closely with the majors division in assisting in research, bringing information that would be very critical for the majors division uh, in, their, in, the, in their work to ensure that our quality of work is spot on and perfect to the satisfaction of uh, our clients. Uh, lastly, um, Daryl, you've also seen that we've been guiding our, our clients now uh, so that when they engage us, they know exactly uh, what to do. They know exactly what we are looking for. They know exactly the procedures we are expecting them to follow. So we've been issuing a number of um, practice notes, uh, unlike it was in the past. So those practice notes are to ensure that our clients and ourselves are on the same page. Um, I think I move on to the next question you asked on uh, what effects uh, COVID-19 has had on the uh, operations of the triple C. Yes, COVID has had significant and desirable effects on our operations. And I think we are not unique. This is true for most other competition authorities uh, the world over. It has made the receipt of information that comes from the field and from our clients, the business, uh, the, the, the undertakings, extremely slow and this has hampered our investigations too because we depend on that information in most cases also we can't travel to uh, to conduct our investigations on the ground sometimes to get good information you really have to be on the ground instead of depending on emails teleconferences and and things like that then, then Daryl, you will uh, uh, as you may know our national competition authorities in the common market uh, are a critical partner uh, in our operations and in our uh, assessment of uh, transactions. But they are also not working at full capacity uh, because of, uh, uh, of the same COVID. So all those have impacted on the efficiency of our work. Uh, but uh, or should, I should be quick to say we've tried to navigate around that. Thanks. Thanks, Willard. I mean, it's very pleasing from, from my side specifically to see that you are committed to uh, all of your stakeholders uh, in providing, um, you know, a service uh, to us. And, um, you know, we'll certainly filter back some of these commitments that you've made to our clients, uh, which I think are fantastic um, and, and a great, great initiative from, uh, from your side. I want to now move to some more sort of recent developments. I mean, earlier this year, I think it was in about February, you published a new practice note, um, you know, clarifying very important aspects of your merger control, um, you know, thresholds, you know, could you just briefly talk about this, um, you know, for our listeners benefit and, and how does, how do these changes affect firms from entering into, into potentially notifiable transactions within the Camisa region? Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. We issued that practice note and I'll be very quick to point out here that that practice note was very demand driven. So in as much in as much as would get the praise of uh, having done that and, uh, and and putting it on our website to clarify certain matters, I think credit should also go to 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 the lawyers, the business community out there who were probing and kept on bringing a lot of questions 
to bring certainty to some of the matters they thought were, were, were uncertain. So that practice note is very demand driven. We responded to the market. We responded uh, to the questions from the lawyers. And then we finally realized that instead of responding to individual clients, it would be more efficient and effective to put all this uh, information and responses in one practice note. Now, that practice note, uh, Dario, if you look at it, uh, or maybe let me just quickly give a little background to this. Uh, when we commenced our operations uh, 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 in January 2013, you will recall that we didn't have major notification thresholds. And there was a lot of outcry from the market uh, complaints that uh, uh, the commissioner major regime was, was frankly upset in that it, it, it was requesting and calling for the notification of majors even while there was no proven local nexus, even while the turnover or the activities of the parties in the common market was quite insignificant. So we evolved with that because the law was as it was at the time. It was very clear it was law. It was by law that the major notification thresholds were zero. But we tried to navigate around that, having realized and agreed with the concerns of the, of the, of the uh, private sector, uh, we navigated around that by defining the word operate, giving it, giving it a quantitative definition. Uh, so just uh, to avoid and exempt certain insignificant measures from being notified. So we gave the meaning to the word operate to mean 5 million US dollars in a member state. So if undertakings to a major derived less than 5 million US dollars in a member state, then for purposes of major regulation at the common market level, that major did not uh, require to be notified to the commission. But that, that was a guideline. And in as much as it brought in a little bit of certainty, it did not bring absolute certainty for obvious reasons, as you may agree with me, Dario, that guidelines in, the, in Comesa are not binding. So it was still very possible that at, at, at a given point, depending on the situation, the commission could have chosen to depart from the guidelines. I'm not uh, scaring the, the listeners and clients out there that we will depart from guidelines whenever we feel like. Uh, they are not binding legally, but we may brought to account even in court, because when we put those things in the guidelines, we are supposed to follow them. But there is room that we can give a justification as to why we've departed from the guidelines. So to completely cure that uncertainty, we have uh, probably five, six months later, came up with major notification thresholds, uh, which were binding rules, okay? And when these major notification thresholds came out, we did not amend section 3.9 of the major assessment guidelines. So we had now the major assessment uh, guidelines given a certain uh, in courts thresholds, and then we had the rules on the determination of major notification thresholds and rules of calculation, method of calculation, also giving their own uh, process, procedure, and figures uh, as to what amounts to a threshold for major notification. So there was that confusion. The parties would come to us, they would say, well, I have met the uh, criteria under rule four of the major notification thresholds, but when you go to the guideline, I have not satisfied that criteria because the guidelines are saying I should at least uh, derive not less than 5 million uh, in a member state. So there was that confusion. 
And um, our answer was that the guidelines in that respect were ultra-virus the rules because the guidelines are subservient to the rules. But this issue kept on coming and coming and coming. And uh, to cure that issue, Dario, we had to issue that practice note to clearly make to make it very clear to the to the public that the guidelines are overruled, they are ultra-virus with respect to, to that five million uh, threshold uh, and what is um, uh, uh, we needed to be following the rules because those are the ones that are recognized currently. But the practice not there, I should quickly add, did not only talk about that confusion of the five million uh, in the guidelines and the thresholds as they appear in the rules. The practice not also clarified other issues in the actual rules themselves. So certainty is uh, the positive effect that that uh, practice not has brought to the firms entering into not fiber transactions within the commercial region. Thanks, Willard. Um, yeah, I mean, I think from from certainly again from from my perspective, representing clients doing deals in Africa, that you know you should be applauded um, for for addressing these issues. Um, it certainly introduces a lot of certainty into the market, and as you know, you know clients clients want certainty. So so uh, you know, and again another. Another feather in your cap uh, in relation to making um, this a lot clearer. I think lastly, and just very briefly, um, so the last question for the podcast and for the listeners is: you know, public interest uh, conditions that attach to to mergers is, um, is is very pervasive now across um, most jurisdictions in in Africa, and certainly um, you know much more pervasive now um, as opposed to to ten years ago really is um, the norm now that when you're looking at mergers that public interest plays an important role uh, for the adjudicator. So my question is, uh, in, in relation to public interest conditions that the commission, the Commissioner Commission may be considering uh, imposing, you know, is employment still a key concern? For us, I think what amounts strictly to public interest is very clear in our regulations and uh, those will be pro or, 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 or com competition-oriented uh, public uh, uh, interest issues. So it will be the strengthening of a dominant position, the substantial lessening of competition. It will be widely um, uh, defined as public interest. That said, and as you've stated, at national level, this issue of employment is a very uh, serious issue especially um, during the, the, the depressing uh, uh, economic conditions. The last thing uh, the countries would want to see is jobs dwindling because those uh, developments like that have uh, serious repercussions on the economy. So we see that a lot at national level. When the transaction is regional, we do have those uh, kind of requests and pleas that uh, we should consider those employment concerns in our, in, our, in, our, in our decisions. We've done that very sparingly because we are so focused on competition-related matters and we believe we are not best placed to discuss public interest in the form of employment. 
However, when you look at our regulations, the definition of competition itself in, uh, in uh, I think, Article 1 of our regulations is very clear also that we should be mindful that the transactions with generally, whether it's majors or BPs and, and the like, the transactions should result in employment creation, growth of employment. So by implication, it means transactions that result in loss of uh, jobs may not be looked at favorably by implication. So we sometimes rely on that provision where we see that clearly the transaction uh, is not favorable uh, to jobs. Uh, that said, for us again, uh, we are very mindful that majors sometimes may leave, may result in temporal loss of employment, uh, interim loss of employment. Uh, and the reason is simple. If two firms are merging or three firms are merging, clearly there will be certain positions that will not require to, uh, to have two people. You won't have uh, two uh, uh, CFOs. You will not have two chief executive officers. You will not have two uh, 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 legal secretaries or, or, or things like that. So we understand that. But if the parties can demonstrate to us that, look, this is temporal, employment loss as a result of all these efficiencies this firm is likely to even grow and probably in the nearest future employ even much more people uh, uh, compared to the status quo those are things as long as they're verifiable they are major specific those are things we would look at and those are things we look at and we may still um, approve and clear a transaction that may in the short run in court in, court in courts in the short run uh, result in employment uh, uh, in employment loss under the pandemic or in the pandemic period i was very sure that we would see a dramatic rise of failing firms uh, which will uh, require and uh, lead into public uh, interest uh, considerations but uh, this has not been the case so i don't know if my prediction was too soon or maybe uh, the transactions coming to us since the original transactions, those are not the issues yet. So we are yet to see, maybe it's too early, maybe the markets are still resilient. Uh, we are yet to see the full effects of uh, uh, the pandemic on, on major transactions and failing firms. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah, well, I think uh, you, you're right there. I mean, I think that um, there was some resilience in the market. Uh, firms managed to adapt uh, in, the, in the COVID uh, pandemic. But I also think you're right. To some extent, many of these public interest considerations sit at a national level because they're informed by industrial and social welfare policy and competition policy more generally as they inter intersect. So I think that um, you, you're absolutely right. It is more of, a, more of a national issue. But I'll be interested to see over time as this area develops, uh, and when I say area, this, the jurisprudence around public interest considerations develops, how it starts to becoming more re relevant at a regional level. And I suppose also with the, um, you know, with the integration of many countries through various agreements uh, and the regional bodies um, cooperating with each other that we'll see, you know, we, we may see greater um, uh, collaboration around public interest considerations at a regional level as opposed to a national level. So. That's a space to watch. That really brings an end to our discussion today. And, and uh, Willard, I really want to thank you for sharing your insights uh, to our listeners today. I'm your host, Daryl Dingley, and uh, thank you for listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. 
You have been listening to Weber Wenzel Legal Insights. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on all major platforms. For more expert legal insights and updates, visit WeberWenzel.com.